Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you here in person. I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. Uh, I just want to say before we get started, thank you to everyone who prayed for us, who uh, sent us food, who uh, texted or called to check and see how we were doing. It just really meant a lot. We felt very loved, um, very loved. It's not an easy thing to spend 10 days in a, a 144 square feet with someone, um, but, <laughs> but, but by God's grace, we did it, and uh, we still love each other, so it's great. So uh, anyway, uh, really thankful, thankful the boys didn't get sick, um, so that was part of why we isolated from them as well. So anyway, thank you. I was real thankful for uh, both Tim uh, and Jacob, who filled in last week. I, I texted Jacob and told him thank you and everything, and he said, your church is great. I was like, yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> Not we, but you. So uh, before I get going with the message, I do have one special announcement that I want to make here. And uh, if, if I could have uh, Aaron Robertson come up here with me. So uh, Friday night, Aaron graduated from Sock Valley Community College. Yeah, give him a round of applause. So uh, this was as close to Culver's Blue as I could find. This is a little gift for for you. Um, we are proud of you, and know that you'll do great things. And um, it's a little gift uh, to hopefully help him as he ministers uh, through. See, that's the thing: is is Christians, we all have a ministry. Uh, whether we're managing uh, a restaurant, or whether we are, you know, uh, plowing a field, or whether we are pastoring, and we have a ministry, uh, and and the gospel. Uh, affects our ministry. And so what we got you is just a little gift to help you with that. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to let you sit down out from in front of everybody, because I know you love being the center of attention, right? Mm -hmm. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Pray for Aaron. And uh, you've grown up in this church, and so these people love you. They're thankful for you. And I I know college graduation is a little different than high school graduation, but uh, it's still pretty special. And you got to speak. You spoke, right? Yeah. How How long did that go? Oh, okay. Well, they probably wish you would uh, give the sermon then this morning. <laughs> Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Aaron. Thank you for this church family who has loved him as he has grown and into a young man. Um, God, we just thank you for him. Uh, God, we ask that you would have your hand upon him. Uh, God, that, that he would trust you in all things. Uh, God, that he would believe your word, that he would take you at your word, and that God, through him, uh, you, would, you would bring light, uh, the light of the gospel, to all those he comes in contact with, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have to influence the next generation. We pray that you would continue to keep us faithful in that, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Congratulations, buddy. All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 7. Sorry, I didn't work on that transition. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to start by telling you a little memory from history. In 1996, which was the year I graduated from high school, uh, a guy named... Tupac Shakur released a song titled, Only God Can Judge Me. Now, the sentiment expressed in the lyrics was that everyone else should get out of his business, basically. 
All right. I was going to quote it, but I read the lyrics and discovered that it would be difficult uh, to quote it without churching it up some. So, um, of course, though he acknowledged in the song that only God could judge him, the rest of the song and his lifestyle showed that he was not terribly concerned with this thought that only God could judge him. He would tragically face eternity just about three short months after the release of the album that contained that song. Now, I'm just guessing that when most of you got in the car this morning uh, and you're on your way to church, you were probably not thinking that I'd be leading off talking about Tupac. But aside from that, his song and the sentiment that is, that is in it is an illustration of our culture's obsession with telling us that no one can judge them. And in today's section of scripture from the Sermon on the Mount, what we find and what I'm, this is what I'm claiming is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the whole of scripture. People will readily reference it or quote it. If they feel someone may have some displeasure at some of their life choices, they'll whip this out and quote it or reference it. Even those who are far from God or have little knowledge of the content of the Bible can be heard quoting or referencing this passage. Well, here's my hope for you today, Lord willing, is that you'll grasp the true meaning behind this passage and how you can apply true biblical principles to your life. If I had to boil this all down to one exhortation just to grab onto this morning, something that, that you could grab onto as, as one main, uh, main thought from this, is I would say this. Do the hard, heart-level work of self-examination instead of focusing on the external behavior of others. Now, if we were to reword that, kind of say that a different way, it's judge your own motives rather than passing a sentence on whose motives you do not know. Because what we're talking about many times here is passing some kind of eternal condemnation on someone else's motives when your motives uh, may be in question as well. But let's begin by reading from uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, When there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, as we come, um, God, you know uh, what is going on in my heart. Uh, you know what's going on in my body. Um, God, I just pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. I pray that your word, the meaning of your word would be clear through the message this morning. And God, I pray that we would take that and we would apply it in our lives, that you would give us uh, the wisdom to know how it fits into our life and how we need to uh, not change it, but to change our lives, mold our lives around what you want from us, Jesus. I pray that our motives would be pure, that we would seek after you with our whole hearts pray you'd be big here this morning, Jesus, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. 
Now, chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount here marks a bit of a change in the structure of Jesus' most famous teaching here in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew changes over from what he had been doing to these sort of self-contained paragraphs of Jesus' teaching. Now, this sermon so far has been showing us how to live as citizens of the kingdom of God and what it looks like played out in the lives as related to prayer and other areas. And now in chapter 7, though, we see Jesus address how this whole person righteousness that he's been talking about for the last couple of chapters, how it plays into our relationships with other people. And the first thing we find is that Jesus gives a warning about being judgmental towards others. He gives us this warning about being judgmental towards others. And of all things, of all things, Jesus begins by telling his followers, that would include those of us who have trusted in Christ for salvation, that we should not judge our brothers and sisters. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but anyone in here ever been, has any, excuse me, has anyone ever, let me just tell you something, COVID brain is a real thing. Uh, something happens and, and things just don't work like they used to work. I don't know what it, what it, it reminds me when uh, uh, pregnant people, uh, women, they're women, pregnant women, uh, talk about baby, sorry, I don't know, I, I told you, when pregnant women talk about baby brain, right? You get forgetful. You can't quite put things together. That's, and Bethany calls it migraine brain when she's having a migraine day. Anyway, COVID brain is very similar. So anyway, I'm assuming I'm not the only one in here who could, and I'm, again, I'm not asking for a show of hands, who would say, if someone's ever said, you're, you're judging, you're being kind of judgy, oh, that's real judgmental of you to say. As we look at this passage, though, we have to answer some obvious and maybe not so obvious questions. Those questions are this. Was, was Jesus opposed to all judging? Would he condemn anyone who condemned others? Would Jesus simply let each man's conscience guide him like a Disney song? The first thing we must do, though, with any teaching of Jesus is looking for what he intended by it. Put it in its biblical context. Now, if we back up, to the, back up to the last passage there, the last verse in chapter 6, we find, a, uh, we find that Jesus is forbidding a negative attitude toward our own affairs in Jesus telling us not to worry. Remember, we talked about that the last time I was here, if you can remember back that far. Now, in the very next verse, we see Jesus prohibiting a negative attitude towards others, and what some have termed as having a critical spirit. But right before both of these, he told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he forbids our negative view on ourselves of worry and then this negative view or critical view of others. It's almost as if Jesus wants us to understand that we should not criticize the unrighteousness of others, but address our own unrighteousness first, and then maybe we can address the other people. Even in the structure of the sermon, we see this played out. Now, this may seem confusing, but it shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be once we dig into it. The command from Jesus here, excuse me, uses a grammatical form that I've talked about before, we call it present imperative, which implies that uh, he, what he's saying is that the hearers should, uh, 
continually be not judging. To continually, to keep on not judging. They, they should have, excuse me, they should not have what is referred to as a censorious spirit. Now, censorious is a word I actually had to look and see what the meaning of it was. Okay, I read that word that somebody said censorious and said I wanted to find out what it was. I'm going to tell you what it means because I think it's a good word for what we're talking about here, which is why we're going to use it. But censorious is a word that means severely critical. And I don't want to say severely critical all the time, so censorious. But it means to express severe disapproval of or to formally reprove. So it's, it's, it's severely critical, but it's a severely critical disapproval of or a formal reprove of someone. And Jesus' people aren't supposed to always be looking for an opportunity to disapprove of someone's motives or judge their activity. We're not supposed to be nitpickers, okay? We're not supposed to be nitpickers. Here's an example. If someone gives a praise or encouragement about someone or speaks a kind word about someone, and your first thought is, yes, but they blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they are really good at that blah, 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 blah. But the yeah, buts. Then you may have this kind of censorious spirit. John Stott wrote, Censoriousness is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. Enjoys actively looking for another person's failings. He puts the word possible uh, he, excuse me, he puts the worst possible construction on their motives, okay, assumes the absolute worst about the person's motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. Yeesh! That is the definition of this censorious spirit, this critical spirit, this person who is constantly out there looking for the mistake that other people have made. Have you ever met anyone like that? Please don't say their name out loud especially if they're sitting in the room, all right? Uh, but have you ever met anyone like that, that they always can find the worst part about someone? They can always pick out uh, that terrible thing about that person or that thing that they assign to that person's motive is terrible, whether or not it actually is or not, because they don't really know. Or someone who's actively looking for a fault find uh, they're 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 like a they're like a stud finder for faults right uh, they're always looking for that fault in someone so they can point it out well, but here's the thing we must be careful not to swing the pendulum too far the other direction either jesus is not saying that he never wants us to disapprove of anything right that's not what he's saying he's not saying you should approve of everything and never disapprove of anything the problem with people thinking this is that they're taking Jesus' words and they're trying to use them for their own purposes to justify their own behavior. So that's like, that's what people do all the time, right? It's like, well, Jesus, so he's not saying, uh, he's not saying to disapprove of everything, and so then they use that to approve of everything or say, well, who am I? Only God could judge. Who am I to say that this thing is, should not be done? 
And this is an epidemic going around right now. We got whole churches who are refusing to take stands on certain things because, oh, well, that's up to, that's up to God. And that's not, or, and, and it sounds a lot like the lie that we read from the garden. Did God really say? But, so how do we balance this, though, this passage with other passages like John 7.24. John 7.24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, we, in our passage in, in Matthew 7, we have Jesus saying, Judge not, lest you be judged. And then in John 7.24, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So Jesus cannot mean that he's against all judgment. Because there are several times when he comes right out and tells his followers to make a judgment call. Lots of times Jesus comes right out and tells us to make a judgment call. He even does it later on in chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 uh, verses 15 and 16, excuse me. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So we are able to look at someone and judge them. Judge not, again, not eternally, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But to make a judgment call on this person claims this thing, this thing is not true and did not happen, they're a false prophet. And that's actually okay we are, we are able to make those judgment calls. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So this is in the Matthew 18 process of reconciliation between brothers. Hey, like, if I'm going to come to you and tell you you've wronged me, I have to make a judgment call on whether or not I've been wronged, right? So there has to be a judgment call made there. Jesus made judgments himself. He even made some negative judgments like when he said in Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus did not just warn people or disapprove of them, but declared the truth that certain individuals were headed for eternal judgment and would only avoid it if they repented of their sin. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Excuse me. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we can see that even, even the apostles... Even the apostles wrote that judgment is necessary. Galatians 2.11, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's hardcore, right? So there is, there is a call from Christ, from Scripture. We see it from the apostles as well to make judgment calls. But what are we talking about? Well, According to Daniel Doriani, Moses and Paul agreed that leaders must judge if a teacher is so dangerous that he must be removed from the assembly. Such judgments are necessary to preserve the church. 
So when we, and, and there's a bunch of scripture references for that, uh, some from Deuteronomy, 1 Timothy, Acts. So if you want them later, come talk to me, I'll give them to you. But um, where, where Moses and Paul, in, both in their writings, would agree with these things, that, that sometimes in order necessary to preserve the assembly, false teachers, uh, teachers that are dangerous, must be put out. We must also make judgment calls on modern day issues that come before us. Jesus does not prohibit critical thinking. I'm going to say this again. Jesus does not prohibit critical thinking. Okay? We've somehow lost the ability to think critically uh, based on what I see on social media. All right? But Jesus does not prohibit critical thinking, but he does prohibit having a critical spirit. And those two things are very different. So if sometimes judgment is okay, but this says not to judge, then there must be different types of judgment. There are times when we must exercise moral discernment. For example, the issue of transgenderism, it's all the rage right now, right? The Bible clearly lays out that there are two genders, male and female, designated by God and set in our biology. They are unchangeable, okay? They're unchangeable. So we make the moral discerning choice to not recognize that you can change your gender or that there are more than two. We make that moral discerning choice because of what the scripture says. People may tell us that we're being judgmental, but we're simply being morally discerning as we are called to in scripture. We're holding to the way God created the world. If we want to decide excuse me, if we want to decide when we should withhold judgment, then we should look at how this passage is situated after a long block of moral instruction. Hearing all of this teaching would no doubt make it tempting for his followers to pass judgment on or use this teaching to condemn people so he commands them not to, right? They hear this long, long, uh, long moral teaching and it would be really easy for them to be like, "Aha, uh-huh, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, oh, those people, they're not doing that. They're wrong. You shouldn't do it. you got to, like, and immediately jump out into judgment mode, right? I get it. I've been in a service. Maybe you've been in a service, too. You heard an amazing message. You just get so pumped up with zeal for the Lord. And the temptation is you walk out of there, and everyone else looks like an underachiever to you. And that they're ready for your help in correction. One author put it in the context of a marriage conference. Consider how dangerous it is to attend a marriage seminar by yourself. Going without your spouse changes the way we listen. The talks can lead us to rejoice over our blessings in marriage or to godly self-examination, but sadly, they can also lead us to list all the counsel the speaker had for our spouse, the one who really needed to hear the message. When we report on the conference, we say, you should have been there, honey. The speaker, the speaker, speaker? The speaker suggested three ways for me to be a better husband and 19 ways for you to be a better wife. <laughs> Let me share the top five with you right away. But Jesus does more than prohibit judgment. He carefully explains why. He explains why. So secondly, Jesus gives us reasons not to judge. Jesus gives us reasons not to judge. Number one, you will be judged. Reason number one not to judge is because you will be judged. You're actually, what you're doing when you pass, uh, uh, you pass this, 
this condemnation, this eternal condemnation on someone else, on someone else's motives who you don't know, you don't know their motives, you are actually putting yourself in God's place because, yeah, only God is the eternal judge and you're putting yourself in God's place. Now, that sounds dangerous to me, right? You shouldn't be trying to take over a role that is God's, the creator of the universe. If you are judging others, you yourself will be judged as well. Number two, the measure you use on others will be used on you. The standard by which you judge other people will be the standard used on you. Like the Pharisees who judged others to make themselves feel and make themselves seem superior to others. It was ultimately not about lifting others up, but it was about lifting themselves up and tearing others down. And most of the time, if we really get down to it, when we are guilty of this, it's not about lifting someone else up. If we dive deep down into our heart, we find there's this self-aggrandizing thing where we're trying to build ourselves up, make ourselves seem like we're so much more holy. We would never blah, 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 right? And Stott sums up verses 1 and 2 so well when he says that the command not to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but a plea to be generous. So the command to not judge is not to be blind to whatever terrible things are going on, but it's an appeal or a plea to be generous with our brothers and sisters. We're not to cease being Excuse me. We're not to cease being men by suspending our critical powers, right? And we're not to stop being human by giving up our critical powers, but to renounce what he calls our presumptuous ambition to be God, setting ourselves up as the judges. It's the difference between judgment and judgmentalism. It's a difference between judgment and judgmentalism. We're not let off the hook for our brotherly responsibilities towards other Christians. There's obviously a difference, though, in how we deal with a fellow Christian and with someone outside the family of God. And we have to balance this passage with Matthew 18. We have to balance it with Matthew 18. Again, there is great danger in taking one passage of Scripture and then building an entire theology, right, around that one passage. You've got to take the whole counsel of God. You've got to balance the passages with one another. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by, the Father in, by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. First of all, I just want to point out that last verse that we toss around all the time. We know where two or three are gathered in my name. There, you know, that verse actually comes from a passage in the context of church discipline. Just, just something to think about. Just something to think about there. But our unfortunate sinful tendency is to judge more often and more harshly than we should. 
we should check ourselves first. Number three, another reason we should not judge is that we should check ourselves first. We should begin with ourselves. Begin with yourself. Check your heart. Oftentimes, we very easily see the sin in others, and we readily point out their sin while ignoring the sin in our lives. And often, it's the very same type of sin in our life, and it's sometimes even more glaring to others than it is to us. The sin in our life is often more glaring to someone else than it is to us. Sometimes we're self-deceived about our own sin. We need to deal with our sin first so that we can see clearly to help our brothers and sisters because sometimes our sin blinds us to it. And we think, oh, I'm going to go help. Yeah, I got my, maybe, maybe you decide you've got like a good motive in helping your brother who's got this giant sin that you see. You think it's this giant thing. It's a speck in his eye, right? And you walk over there and try to help him with a log sticking out of, you know, a plank sticking out of your eye. Oh, you're probably going to knock him in the head while you're trying to help him. And how can you see clearly? I mean, look, if I've got, there are some times where I will have like an eyelash or something in my eye, right? And here comes Bethany with her fingernails to get it out, right? I don't want her to do that without her glasses on. I don't want her to do that if she's partially blind. Okay? So, yet somehow, we go and try to help our friend out with the thing where they're blind before we deal with our own, and we can't even see clearly to help them. There's hypocrisy in our judgment of others when we are mired in sin and trying to help someone else out of their sin. Now, that does not mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But it does mean that you've got to be constantly dealing with the things in your life. And I'm going to give you an example of that here in a little bit. But first I want to recount a story from a few years ago. At a Bible study, Joe Bailey once met a former Nazi, a participant in the Holocaust, who complained that uh, he had missed a promotion in the army. Listen, he, he missed a promotion in the Nazi army because he objected to social dancing. Bailey remarked tongue-in-cheek that Christians were the same everywhere. They weren't afraid to speak out, even against Hitler, when it came to social dancing. All right? We obviously don't have a problem with social dancing, but so this is obviously a few years ago. But the point is, the point is, they were so blind. Here you had a guy who was, oh, well, I'm I'm a a Christian, so I'm not going to social dancing, and was completely turning a blind eye to the fact that he was a Nazi! And, and they were killing Jews. They were just slaughtering people. And all the other horrors of the Nazis. As we have said continually in this series, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. You have to look into your own heart. Look and see. That you may have the same sin you're complaining about in that person in your life. And how are you going to help that person Again, if you have that same thing going on in your life. But here in verse 6 is where Jesus, he sort of pivots a little bit. So he's been talking about not judging people and issuing and, and not issuing condemnation on others. And he pivots 
to telling us who to judge. So point number three, Jesus advises to judge those who are living wickedly. To advise, to judge those who are living wickedly. Take a look back at verse six in Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, verse six. The last verse from our passage. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under, underfoot and turn to attack you. So, what are we talking about here first? Well, we need to understand a couple of things. Number one, dogs back then were not man's best friend, okay? We're talking about they would be kind of, they would be mangy and roaming around and kind of nuisancey. People who were referred to as dogs, that was not a compliment, okay? So, what are we referring to here? Well, first, we're referring to those who tear up God's truth, right? So, dogs tear stuff up, right? Okay, if you've got dogs, you've ever come home and, you know, the arm of the couch is all over the place, right? Or, or you know, they, they go through all their little, I had a, a friend and, and their dog would go through the little, they'd get the little squeaky toys or whatever and they just tear them apart, right? Dogs tear stuff up. So we're talking about those who tear up God's truth and secondly, those who trample on God's truth. Pigs trample things. When I think of pigs, I never thought of pigs as, as really being dangerous or anything like that, okay? But I remember as a kid, I was at school, and we watched a movie. I think it was Old Yeller. I think it was in Old Yeller. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but there was some movie we watched at school, some, excuse me, some film strip we, walked, we watched at school. Kids, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents or your grandparents, maybe. So we watched this film strip, you know, with a yeah, and, uh, and anyway, it was this kid, I, I'm almost sure it was Old Yeller, and he falls into the pig pen, and the pigs, like, trample him, and he gets, I don't know, he hurts his leg or something, I don't remember the whole thing. I just remembered that, and when I thought of this, pigs trampling things, that's what I thought of, something falls in, it just gets trampled, right? Uh, if you took the most valuable thing you could find, you know, like, what, a diamond ring or something like that, right? Uh, or a gallon of gas, whatever. The most valuable thing you could find. And you put it in the pig pen, it's going to get trampled, right? It's going to get run over. I, you know, I struggled with the meaning of this verse, uh, as many have over the years. What I've come down to understand is this. To just kind of <laughs> try to make it as basic as I can. Some people will never trust Jesus. There are some people in the world who they'll hear the gospel um, and they just will never believe. They'll never trust Jesus. There are some people who are going to continually and repeatedly refuse the gospel. This makes sense because we know there is a real place called hell, a place of judgment for those who do not know Jesus, where they will spend eternity. And there exist people who, regardless of how many times they hear the gospel, will reject Jesus. I don't like this, but it's the truth. Now, we don't know who those people are, okay? So the good news is we share the good news with everybody because we don't know who those people are, right? But the people Jesus is talking about here are those who have heard the message about Jesus and willfully rejected it. They've refused Jesus repeatedly and they have shown themselves not to recognize the value of the pearl that is being put before them 
and they trample it. Now I want to say this would be in exceptional situations where they had hardened their hearts after, again, a repeated attempt to share the gospel with them. And at some point, you effectively have to dust off your samples and move on to someone else. Now, you don't know whether that individual will continue to reject the Lord or if they may one day hear the message from someone else and believe, but at a point, you should move on. Again, these are extreme and exceptional situations, not excuses for lack of evangelism. So don't take this and use it as some excuse to not share the gospel with people. Our general posture towards people should be one of patience and perseverance in evangelism. But based on this understanding of verse 7, we can see that to persist in witnessing to those who have stubbornly and willfully rejected the gospel is a waste of time. Friends, there is a difference between those who are open to the truth and those who just flat out oppose the truth. So what am I not saying? I'm not telling you to not share the gospel with everyone. Okay? I'm not telling you to stop sharing the gospel. You need to share the gospel with everyone. And if you're not, you need to start. Okay? If you've trusted Jesus and and you have uh, come to understand that you're a sinner and that your sin is... Uh, the penalty for your sin is, is, is eternity separated from God, is the wrath of God in a real place called hell, and that the only way that you could be saved from that is by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 100% God, 100% man, God in the flesh, coming to earth and dying on the cross in your place for your sin, taking the wrath of God that you deserved upon, your, uh, upon himself and giving you his righteousness. And that three days later, he rose from the grave, showing that God had accepted that sacrifice and that all who trust in him for eternal life, all who trust in him for salvation, for forgiveness of their sins, will be able to spend eternity with him in heaven. Another very real place. And that's the only way for salvation. And if you believe that, then it's your responsibility to share that message. Okay, it's not just my responsibility as pastor. It is your responsibility to do that out in your workplace and your school and at the grocery store as you have opportunity, okay, as as God gives you opportunities, okay, So what I'm not saying is to stop that. But we all know there are people who have continually rejected it and God God has, has, has put the message in front of them through people and they have continually rejected it and at some point you need to move on to someone else. And you still pray for that person. You still hope that that person will believe. They have heard the message repeatedly. It's not for lack of hearing. It's not for lack of hearing. But at some point, we're taking that valuable message and we're tossing it and letting those trample it who will never believe it or who at least will not believe it from our ministry. Your hope and your prayer is that someone else will come along and share with them. I mean, there are testimonies of people who rejected the Lord for years and then something happened in their life and they came in contact with another believer who shared the gospel with them and they're like, I finally get it. That God worked in their heart and opened their heart and convinced them of the gospel in some other method, some other way. So this, I want to be very careful with this because if we're not careful, this passage could get real, uh, well, it does get kind of dark, right? But we could go to a real dark place with it. 
And that's not the point, is to go to a real dark place. The point is, we need to be checking our heart, number one. We need to be checking our heart. See, there's a right way to go to someone, and there's a wrong way to go to someone. There's a right way to approach someone who's stuck in sin, and there's a wrong way to approach someone who's stuck in sin. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, those who have trusted Jesus Christ, we have responsibility to one another. We have a responsibility to one another. It's been said that your, well, my relationship with God, that's, that's private. No. Your relationship with Christ is personal, but it's not private. It's personal, but it's not private. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we do need to be looking out for one another. That's part of how we care for one another, how we show we love one another. But we must do it not with a heart of judgment, but with one of seeking reconciliation and repentance. You know, there that last verse we were talking about, those who don't know Jesus. But for most of this, we're talking about how are we approaching a brother or sister? How are we going to someone else? So I want to give you four ways to check your heart, and then we're going to wrap up. But four ways that, that I think things that we need to check in our heart before we go to someone. First of all, do you have a critical spirit? Are you constantly looking for the bad things in someone? Are you, are you expecting the worst for them? Are you always... Are you like... Debbie Downer? Right? We heard, yeah, yeah, right? Uh, where you're always looking for the, something great someone's got going on. You're always looking for that critical thing. You've got to find the thing. You can't let them get too high because you've got to bring them down a peg. Right? <laughs> we were at an eighth grade graduation once, and the principal tried to say Debbie Downer, and I had to think about it, and he actually said Deborah Downey. <laughs> it was so funny. So I have to think about it when I say Debbie Downer so that I don't say it wrong. But anyway, so do you have a critical spirit? If you have a critical spirit, repent. Change. Ask God to give you a loving and generous spirit. Secondly, have you got a plank in your eye? Have you got a plank in your eye? Do you have sin in your own life? Are you so upset by the sin in someone else's life because you have the similar thing in your own life? A lot of times I've heard guys um, rail on about certain sins, and sometimes I wonder if that's the very thing they're dealing with themselves. Do you have a plank in your eye when you're trying to take the speck out of someone else's? You need to deal with your sin. Third, do you have right motives? What is your motive in pointing out that thing that that person is doing that you believe is wrong? Is your motive that they would, excuse me, if they're, I just told the stool, excuse me, when I bumped into it, that's funny. Uh, is, I, you know, I, 
I would love to see someone's face as they listen to the audio-only recording when they don't know what's going on up here. Um, What are your motives? Why is it that you want to point that out to that person? Are you wanting to get some kind of satisfaction by saying, see, you're doing this thing? Or are you motivated by a deep love for them and a desire to see them reconciled to God, to see that thing that is sin in their life that will lead to destruction and death, that you want to see them avoid that? And third, do you love others? Evaluate your love for others. Am I truly loving my brothers and sisters? There's actually a great test for that. You can go look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? We use that in weddings all the time, right? Love is patient, love is kind. But, but here's the thing, all the, all the things it says about love there, it's not within the context of a wedding. I mean, we use it at weddings, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but that's love. And so, am I patient with this person? Am I kind with this person? Am I self-seeking? Because love's not, or self-serving? Love's not self-serving. Am I wanting the right thing for them? Am I actually wanting them to be right with God? Am I keeping records of wrongs? Because love, in 1 Corinthians 13, we find doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So if I kept a long record of wrongs and aha, now I can get them because they're doing that. Aha. No. Am I loving others? So what does it look like to approach someone with love, with right motives, without a critical spirit, and in a non-condemning way? What does that look like? Now, I'm going to give you this and then we're going to be done. But, uh, so maybe the musicians, if you guys want to come on back up. But, but here's the thing. At some point, at some point, You're going to boil it down as much as you can. You're going to get it down to where you've got the right motive. You're you're doing this out of love. You want this. And you're going to go to them and you're going to share the truth with them. And they may still hear it as hate because it's the opposite of what they want to do. Okay? You're not responsible for that necessarily. You're responsible for how you approach them. For your heart. Okay? Um. At some point, we can be as loving as we possibly know how to be and and share with someone the truth. And if the truth is offensive to them, that's okay. If they're offended because I'm a jerk, that's not okay. Okay? So what does it look like to approach someone with love, with right motives, without a critical spirit, in a non-condemning way? Let me suggest that it might look something like this. Hey, AJ, um... This is not based on anything for real. Hey, AJ. You know, uh, man, I'm just, I'm real concerned. I I see you struggling with this thing, or I see you're, you know, involved in this thing. And and man, I I just know that I had something like that in my life. Um, I was in, you know, and I'd be very, I'd be more specific. Make yourself open and vulnerable, right? Be like, look, I I see you're struggling with that. And uh, man, I'm just concerned that if you go on Robin Liquor Stores, uh, that's going to be, and, and look, bro, I, I understand that I, like, like I used to do that until God changed my heart. And I recognized that was going to lead me to destruction. I'm really concerned it's going to lead you to destruction. I don't want that for you. You know, I want, I, I don't want Brittany to have to go find somebody else cause you're incarcerated. Okay. She wouldn't do that. She loves you too much anyway, but I'm, I'm being a little facetious here. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little light with it. 
But do you understand? It's going to someone and saying, hey, brother or sister, I am worried for you because I love you. And I see this thing in your life and I'm concerned because I know where it leads because I've been down that road and God rescued me out of it and he can rescue you too. And I can't sit by and let you drive the bus off this cliff. I need to tell you, (laughs) the brakes don't work. You need to get off. That's what it looks like. It's pleading with someone, okay? And you don't have to be crying and use vulnerability voice and all that, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, it's you making sure that your motives, your reason for going to them are right so they don't interpret it as judgment but that it's love coming from you. And you're, you're pleading with them just as at the point of your salvation you felt Christ pleading with you to believe. That's what you want for them. You want reconciliation with God. You don't want condemnation. You don't want them to to feel your harshness and judgment. If you do, that's a sign that you need to repent yourself. Would you stand up with me? And I'm just going to be done, but but look, we've gotten so touchy about other people being in our lives. Especially we've spent the last 14 months not being around many people at all. And we're going to have to get reaccustomed to being around people and other people seeing our lives and and other people being involved in our lives. Because you can't do Christianity as a lone ranger. It was never designed that way. That's That's why we are organized from the very beginning into churches. With, with pastor elders and church members and like because because you can't do there's not a lone ranger christian that's not the thing sit at home watching it on tv or now the internet and never being a, that's not a thing and so i'm really excited that it looks like we're going to be able to more and more be together more and more in person i'm thrilled about that that god is is bringing that to pass i'm so thankful And so I just want to challenge you to, as you think about other people, it doesn't mean you don't see the stuff that is not right in them, but it means that you're not quick to pass judgment on their motives, but you are quick to assess where you are coming from yourself. And the Lord will use that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for this message that you, uh, you gave me. Uh, you prepared um, in my heart. And God, I pray that it's been clear. And God, if there's anything that I've said that has been fuzzy or unclear or just not, God, I just pray that you would you would let that just kind of fade in people's minds uh, and let them hold on to the truth of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us a church family. You've given us brothers and sisters. Help us to not be judgmental but to be generous and loving and and assume the best in one another from the onset. And give us loving and patient hearts to deal with uh, when we find out otherwise. None of this would matter without you, Jesus. You are all that matters. We worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.